citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. And I'm Brian Betts. And this is Beer Me a Movie. It's the show where me and Brian trade movies back and forth every single day. It's really just an excuse to hang out with Bry Guy over here and then yeah. arbitrarily score a movie for whatever reason, because we could. Arbitrarily, but super accurately. It is super accurate. It is scientific. The earth is flat, folks. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that last part. That's science stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, disprove it. Disprove my statement. Let's science all over this bitch. <laughs> that sounds like an impossible mission, Dave. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Brian, this was your pick. You said you wanted to start a franchise, another franchise. Open some doors. Yeah. Give us something to fall back on when we're feeling lazy. That happens quite often. <laughs> Especially recently. I've just been been feeling like sometimes I need a little something easy to go back to. You're moving. It's holidays, and I got way too many kids, so uh, the burnout is real. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if we have a couple Fasts and Furiouses and Mission, Mission Impossibles to fall back on, that's a good thing. Mission Impossible I? Mission's Impossible? I like that one better. Is it like Brothers-in-Law? There it is. Uh, gross. <laughs> Brian, it was your pick. You picked Mission Impossible from 1996, directed by Brian fucking De Palma. Yes, Brian fucking De Palma. You've seen this thing before? I have vivid memories of seeing this movie in 1996. Did you go to the theater or did you rent it? Uh, it was rented. It was a little blockbuster night thing that apparently at nine years old, my dad was like, yep, this will be good. And I still, to this day, have vivid memories of Emilio Estevez getting stabbed in the eyes with the roof of an elevator. You don't like watching Gordon Bombay after he wins the big tournament or something against the Hawks get impaled in a quick frame? You don't like that? At nine-year-old me, it really stuck with him. I think that's uh, pretty fair. I have seen this before, and I could tell you honestly, I don't remember any of it because training a helicopter chase should stand out in my brain for forever, <laughs> and it did really not. Should. Because when that happened, I went, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, same. Uh, all I remember really is... Charlie Sheen's brother getting right in the eyeballs. Want to talk about this thing? Yeah, let's talk about the rest of the movie. What did Ryder McStrikely do for us this week? This week, we're actually doing something a little bit different. He has us assuming the roles of people who were actually in the movie. Okay. Um, I don't want to have to do a voice, man. <laughs> well, luckily, you'll be doing the part of Claire. Oh, goody. <laughs> So you get to do your best Emmanuel Beard. Bayart? Bayart. Are you suggesting that I get to be French? If you want to be, I'm here for it. Are you ready? I'm ready. And action! A drab prison visitation room. Jim, John Voight, John fucking Voight. <laughs> you get to be John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> and Claire, Emmanuel Bayart, sit at a metal table, a single dim light bulb flickering above. Uh, are we married in this? It seems as though we is might be. Is that the be. way that you set this up, Brian? Uh, I think that's the way writer McStrikely wrote it, actually. That's the way he like, sees us? He's like, guys, guys, you thought the ambiguously gay duo was uh, <laughs> that obvious? <laughs> we all know what's happening here. Even writer McStrikely is keen to it. So, Claire, about that little incident in the train tunnel... Sacrebi! You mean when you tried to turn me into Swiss cheese? Yeah, let's talk about that! Oh god, I have to do that 
now. I have <laughs> the to do whole that time now. now? I'm Could so you? sorry, everybody. I uh, was under a lot of stress. You know, the mission went sideways. Ethan, Tom fucking Cruise. You better. Yeah. Was on my tail and the list was up for grabs. It was a lot. Stress? Oh, poor Jimmy had a bad day at the office, so he decided to shoot his wife. Boo! That is kind of fucked that he did that, isn't it? It really is. Like I, could, I could shoot this guy, but I'm going to shoot her instead. That's like a, a Larry David path to divorce. Like, boom, he always did boom, this insane boom. things to, like, get out of the situation. I feel like, yeah. so you're saying if I shoot her, you're saying if I shoot That's Doc Brown. Jeez. <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts, Jerry. <laughs> Jimmy organized this entire plan. It goes completely tits up, but does it? I'm unsure about that part of it. That's the question. Does it? It wasn't like that. I mean, we started with a bang at that party in Prague, right? Classic spy stuff, tuxedos, hidden cameras, the works. Can we talk about the hidden cameras for a second in this movie? Sure. They're glasses that they just lay places. And then it is the most cinematic hidden camera you will ever see. The moves are perfect. (laughs) It's incredible how much (laughs) they move and just so smoothly. Like, just to give you an idea. There's like two bad guys there and they're looking at a computer at one point. And it's right when they realize the computer's all fucked up. You have in this van, Emilio Estevez is messing with the computers and whatnot. And he's kind of like using a joystick to direct the hidden cameras. And I love how he's like, uh, let's get a reaction on number one. Uh, now let's get a reaction number two. Uh, perfectly reacted. Now let's go to the thing they're reacting to. Oh, that's cinematography, baby. I love this single camera spy cam we have here. <laughs> that moves. Sitcom. That actually tilts i don't know how any of it works i don't care it's wonderful it's so much fun and it all went to hell in a handbasket your crack team ended up cracked all right dead jim they were dead because you were playing molly 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 guacamole i had to protect the list and then there's Ethan, Mr. Perfect Agent, making those impossible leaps to find gravity. He is kind of the perfect agent. I feel like the whole movie's about him for a reason. He just chameleons himself anywhere he goes. It's so cool. It is. And, and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. 90s Tom Cruise. Before everybody knew how weird he was. He got weird after this movie, though. Because before this, he was just kind of a box office king. Just hit after hit after hit. Yeah. A true movie star. And then when he came into producing with this movie, because it's a Brian De Palma-directed movie, Tom Cruise was very much pulling all of the strings in this thing. Absolutely. He got super weird after this one. And now I have power, and I can do my own stunts and whatnot. I'm going to get real weird with it. I'm going to jump on couches on Oprah. It's going to get real strange here soon. This is the movie that made him start doing his own stunts. Yeah. And it was the the aquarium scene coming up after he confronts, I don't know, the other FBI guy who may or may not be bad, too. <laughs> um, Kittredge. Yeah, I think he's he's a good guy. It's hard to tell. We'll get there. Maybe. <laughs> Says I have to snicker for my next line. Do it. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> R.I.P. Betty White. <laughs> Yeah, the man could probably stick to walls if you asked him nicely, and that whole disguise as a senator trick? Please, I've seen better masks at a Halloween store. 
At least I had a plan. What was yours? Flirt with Ethan until he figured it all out? She does flirt with Ethan. And it's weird because there's the whole scene where she finds out that the rest of the team is dead. And then Ethan kind of like undresses her to make sure she's not guarded. But there's some weird sexual tension even then. Very weird tension. John Voight's body is not even theoretically cold yet. And he's throwing her on a bed and just being very aggro. Choices were made in this movie. Big time. My plan worked better than hang onto a helicopter in a tunnel strategy. What were you thinking? I've gone full Miss Piggy. <laughs> I was improvising. You should supervise this, Kermy. <laughs> and I feel like that's when she like leans over and shows those hams. Oh, I get it. Because she's a pig. Because she's a pig. Mm, well, check out these frog legs. I love how that's the the entire first movie. That's what that is. It's about frog legs. Yeah. In driving. (laughs) Raymond. (laughs) Hi-ho, Deborah. (laughs) Well, that was a journey we just went on. That was a journey we just went on. I'm doing it for the kids, (laughs) Piggy. For the kids. (laughs) You're way more Kermit than Raymond. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I got to get more Italian. Is that what you're saying? In order to re-Raymanize me? Yeah. Kermit with pizza. Better accents. Better frogs. Papa Raymond. Hi-ho, Luca Brazzi. Thanks for joining me on this, the day of my daughter's wedding. Yay! Raymond. That's very Luca Brazzi of you to say. That's all I could think of. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, right. There was a script somewhere in here, right? I was improvising, and it would have worked if it wasn't for that blasted gum. All right, the gum, because nothing says covert ops like explosive chewing gum. <laughs> how cool is the gum, though? The gum is pretty neat. I like how it has the two sides of it, and if you just touch them together, it goes splody. It's like uh, a whole another level of flavor blasting. Think what? F- flavor blasts. Is that how Guy Fieri does it? <laughs> oh, you think that's that's an unnaturally dyed soul patch? <laughs> I flavor blasted her all night long. I went down to Flavor Town, and I'll tell you what, it was money. And then I got flavor blasted from behind. Why did the guy wear the sunglasses on the back of my head? And saw that they have something to look at. <laughs> Everybody was flavor blasting everyone. And that's how we make donkey sauce. Is that when you uh, put some hot sauce on someone else's back and then you punch it? While doing the sex? I would imagine if you went to Urban Dictionary, yeah. All I know is that donkey sauce features heavily on Guy Fieri's menu. Maybe that's why Bobby Flay talks like that. Maybe him and Guy Fieri were having a nice night out, a gentleman's <laughs> night out, and then they started doing the gentleman's sex. Right. And Guy Fieri's like, listen here, Bobby Flay. I got an idea for a new type of donkey sauce. It's called a donkey punch sauce. I'm going to wipe this on you. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh, it's really good, Guy, but it needs like 44 more ingredients. <laughs> oh, God. Emerald comes in. Bam. Right on his back. Don't call it a comeback. Oh, gross. <laughs> You somehow made the grossest dad joke I think I've ever heard. (laughs) I don't know if I'm proud of it or ashamed. I'm pretty sure your mom somewhere just went, ew. Like, that's how deep it went that she Something gross just happened. Ugh. Ugh. I don't feel well. 
All right, let's get back to this the script. You know, for a moment there, I thought we had it all. Money, new identities. Freedom? Yeah, about that. Your brilliant plan landed us in marriage, counseling, and prison. Bravo, Jim. Bravo. I guess I didn't see that coming. Don't call it a comeback. You think? Next time you want to play dead, do me a favor and leave me out of it. If there is a next time, I'll make sure to get the details right. Is this just going to skip the whole movie? It sounds like it. There's like three lines left. We haven't talked about the fucking movie. We talked about Prague. We talked about the helicopter in the tunnel. We talked about exploding gum. Tom Cruise has got to recruit a whole bunch of outcast guys, and they're going to steal the knock list from Langley. And to do that, they got to break into a giant tubular room while giving a man explosive diarrhea. It's a very famous scene. It's an awesome scene. So much fun. It's ridiculous to go back and watch that because I love when Tom Cruise is like, from now on, everyone silent. And then the movie is more or less silent for a solid 15, 20 minutes. And man, is it tense. The tension is insane. And you have that moment where uh, Franz, played by Jean Renault, tries to do the sabotage. And it's just like, I thought we were finally out of this. And the knife, and it's it's a whole thing. It is. Whew. We got a question about Jean Renault. Oh, okay. And it comes to us from a good buddy, Micah. He said, can you name a movie in which Jean Renault doesn't play a bad guy? I think I got two. I can think I can name one movie that Jean Renault's been in. And it's because I'm looking at a PDF right now that has his picture on it. It's this one? It's this one. It's this one. All right. Uh, Leon the Professional, he's kind of a good oh. guy. Ish. Okay, yeah. I forgot about Leon the Professional. The Ronin with uh, De Niro. Yeah, okay. Jean is great, guys. He really doesn't do bad things. I don't want to say that. I don't know what his personal life is like. He has not done bad movies <laughs> for the most part. We have to be real careful these days about saying how great somebody is without first Googling them. Right. I like uh, that's the thing we're afraid of and not talking about donkey punching Guy Fieri. I like that's the thing we're walking on eggshells about. That whoa, makes sense. whoa, whoa, whoa. Guy Fieri is the one doing the donkey punching. Yeah, Let's I thought I made that clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you think that we were donkey punching Guy Fieri? Just making sure that it's very clear. Nobody donkey punches Guy Fieri. No, he wouldn't allow that at all. Zero kinks detected there. So Tom Cruise steals the list, and then he goes and screws over multiple people while not screwing over anyone all at the same time? He kind of double-crosses everybody while also being faithful to the mission. And then at the end, it's like, oh, actually, this guy's fucking all right. It's wild how many different reveals there are going on, because it's actually tricky to keep track of where his allegiances are the entire time. Yeah. And in the end, it turns out that he was protecting the list, and helping Kittredge get the right guy, the Job, if you will. I don't want to like ruin this movie for anybody, but they, they did it. They did the mission, which made it pretty damn possible. Yikes. It's not a good look for a title of a movie. It's not. And was it really a mission? I feel like it started off as a mission, and then it became a different mission, and at the end, it was kind of back to the original mission. So basically, just it, it taken the long way around. Yeah, it's it's not impossible. It's just you got to take a couple detours. But Mission Detour doesn't sound as good. Doesn't put as many people in theaters. No, that is some bullshit that you would like say when you're starting like a war or something. Uh, this is Mission Detour. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Middle East, they still got them. 
we're going in again. <laughs> we just, our detour was not going in. You understand how this works? Mission detour. I guess they really wanted there to be several reveals within the movie, so you never quite know where it's going to go next. Oh, they nailed that. They, they nailed sure that did. in space. It's so well done. Uh, they get on a train. He meets Max on there. Max is played by Vanessa Redgrave, who's a get for this movie. Oh, big time. She tries screwing over him. Ving Rames tries screwing over them because he's in this movie too. Ving fucking Rames. Uh, apologies to the entire Rames family. A lot's happening in this movie. There's Hannah Williams, who's played by, I just want to say this, Inga Borga Dabkunaite. <laughs> She's barely in this movie. You just had to say it. I just had to say Inga Borga. That's such a fun name. That's a very good name. You should name your next kid Inga Borga. I'm probably not even saying it right, but the way I'm saying it feels right. It feels great coming off the tongue. Feels like the Swedish chef. Inga Borga. <laughs> Very Muppet-heavy episode. You ever watch the uh, Muppet Family Christmas? Yeah, of course. Like a TV special from back in the day? Yeah. Pretty fucked up when Big Bird enters the kitchen and <laughs> Swedish Chef looks him up and down. <laughs> now, that would have been a detour for, like, the entire Sesame universe. It would have been Mission Impossible to recover from. Ah, there you go. All those kids are fucked now. <laughs> Tom Cruise saves the day. He screws over people. He doesn't screw over people. Mission uh, accomplished. We did it. Mission accomplished. That's the story and motivation, really. Yeah. I'm going eight. I love it. Do we even finish the script then? Nope. Eight. Love it. Eight. Okay. Anything good at the end? I don't know. Nothing happened in it. Look, everybody in the movie pretty much died. There's little to go with here. That's true. This movie is about a team dying and then him replacing said team and then doing the Mission Impossible. The real twist was that these two were still alive to do this marriage counseling in prison. Eight, uh, casting. It's really good. It's phenomenal. Bill Mulligan wrote in and he asked, what actor would have done a better job playing Ethan Hunt? In 1996? None. I don't think there is a better Ethan Hunt than Tom Cruise. He nailed it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the subsequent Mission Impossible movies, but if you're talking this one... It's Tom Cruise all day. Absolutely. If you want to go with bad Tom Cruise casting, uh, watch Jack Reacher, the movie Jack Reacher, where Tom Cruise, famously not a very large man, portrays a six foot five, 250 pound ex military policeman. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm not seeing the flaw in this logic at all. Not at all. Also, The Last Samurai. I don't think he was very well cast in that either. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah, okay. That checks out now. Got it. Um, the casting in this, another eight. Feeling good. Another eight. Protagonist. Ethan Hunt's pretty great. He's the Boy Scout. He he does the thing. He saves the day. Even when his entire team dies and then one by one comes back to life, he keeps it all together. Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, even when his uh, teeth are weird and his mouth is not symmetrical. At all, to the rest of his body. He's got a center tooth. I was going to go the entire episode without mentioning middle tooth, Tom, but... It's glaring in this movie. I don't think I saw it. I didn't notice it one time while watching it. You got those De Palma close-ups. It's really hard not to notice the middle tooth. Guess I was just focused on the character. Ethan Hunt crushes it. I want to go another eight. I'm rolling with these eights. They feel good. Crazy eights. Antagonist. Jim Phelps, John Voight. Yes. Ultimately. 
ultimately, but also Max and the CIA and everybody. So we're going with the antagonist of this movie, right? Not so much in the lore of Mission Impossible, because this (laughs) pissed off a lot of people. So many people, especially original cast of the TV show. Jim Phelps was the boss. He was a good guy. And then they did this. And you have people like Martin Landau coming out saying, like, fuck this movie. Yeah. You've ruined our deep lore. (laughs) Now I'll never be able to go back. And watch those classic episodes thinking, (laughs) ah, that Jim Phelps, what a good dude. They originally wanted to bring in the full cast from the TV show and kill them all off in the opening scene. It would have been a good move. I I wouldn't have been able to relate to it, but I feel like dads back then would have loved it. Like, oh, yeah, those are the guys from the, oh, no. (laughs) It could have been like their Thanos snap. Yeah. That we experienced 20 years later. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. He's fine in this movie. I'm going to go with a six. There's really nothing terribly special about him just because he's revealed at the end, but he's also yeah. kind of henchy at the same time. So, yeah, it, th- there's just something very unbelievable about him with those magnets on the roof of the train. I just, I don't see it, John Foyt. I don't see it. No, I don't so much either, but it works in this movie. Yeah. And I think it only works because of the Tom Cruise reveal at the end. When Claire goes onto the train and then Tom Cruise pulls off the pulls off the mask, mask and it's great. It's amazing. And the fact that that's practical effects just it's mind blowing. Can I ask a quick question about uh, John Voight in this movie? Sure. And masks, I guess, at the same time. Phil Hot Take Hawkins wrote in and he asked us, what's more unbelievable? The level of mask technology in 1996. So I'm thinking that he's not liking it or is he liking it? I'm not sure what that wording is because he compares it to. As he says, or 58-year-old John Voight married to 33-year-old Emmanuel Beard. Well, I don't believe that relationship for one second. Not even a tiny bit. The masks work. That relationship does not. Yeah. Amen. Six for antagonist. Let's talk about the screenplay. You got some heavy hitters writing this thing. Big time. You got David Kep, who's coming off the shadow. Don't panic, because he also wrote Jurassic Park. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> goes on to do spider-man and then he kind of just rides spielberg's coattails which are pretty good coattails to ride if you can hitch onto any set of coattails that's probably one of the best ones to that's do it. absolutely the one to go for he wrote this thing with robert fucking town yeah who wrote the godfather chinatown one of the most renowned screenwriters of well, realistically, 20 years before this movie, but still counts. <laughs> yeah, it's still something. And then Steve Zalian wrote the story for it. But this movie was written kind of on the fly. Yeah. They had their action set pieces. Brian De Palma came up with those. And then he said, go write something for these set pieces. So David Kep and Robert Town went to separate hotel rooms to write at the same time, not knowing what the other person was doing, because cohesion's not important. Continuity's not important. No, we're here for the twists and the surprises. So if it doesn't make sense, then it's easier to make it twisty. Right your way out of it? Yeah. They wrote a lot of stuff on set for this movie, so maybe that's how they did it. I don't know. Screenplay's fantastic. It's it's so good, and it's unexpected. Having seen it, I was still like, now I feel like one of these people is actually bad, and I still didn't remember. I didn't remember at all. Uh, I'm going to go seven. I think it's great. Seven. Yeah. Next up, we have the style and tone. I feel like 
I don't know if now is the time to say it or save it for director, but I guess I could say it now. I'm not the biggest Brian De Palma fan. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he's kind of cheesy. Okay. I've always thought that. I feel like The Untouchables, for as good as it is as a movie, there's a lot of goofy shit that happens in there that's distracting. <laughs> that's fair. I feel the same with Scarface, for obvious reasons. Right. But I feel like one of the best things that he did was early in his career, was one of his first movies called Phantom of the Paradise. And I feel like he was kind of off the leash the entire time on that thing. He had a lot of fun making it, whereas I feel like everything else that he's done since doesn't feel fun. It's been a job. Right. I mean, Phantom of the Paradise is borderline trauma. Oh, wow. I'm not familiar with it at all. It's that level of absurd. With this movie, you get your kind of fucked up Joel Schumacher, Dutched angles with Big super close-ups. I never cared for it. I always found it weird. It's supposed to be off-putting. I get it. Yeah, but it's also kind of a trite way to get that emotion at that point. Right, and I also feel like it makes the movie feel cheap. Because yeah. when you're setting a style and setting a tone, ha, I brought it back. Whenever you do those extreme close-ups, it makes things look like there's not a budget behind it. You do that in order to hide things. Right. And it's weird that they're hiding, and I'm going to go back to the aquarium scene, the aquarium restaurant, whatever it is. You have two extreme close-ups throughout that entire scene with not a whole lot going on outside of it. And it sets up a major set piece. Right. So I feel like De Palma's choices hurt this movie stylistically. That being said, The Vault. The Vault. The Vault is iconic. It is beyond iconic. <laughs> the way they set it up geographically and they set up the tension and the security and just how it all works. Yeah. It's beautiful. And the whole look of the thing is inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's just, it's such a good set piece. I'm going to go with a five for style and tone with a three point bump. For the vault. Wow. It's that good. Another eight. Let's talk about Brian De Palma separately now in our director category. Does a really, really good job in this movie. He does. For as goofy as he is. Having said everything you just said, yeah. he actually, he does an excellent job in this movie. His camera choices are bad, in my opinion. That's all it is. I mean, it's, he's a great director. He's a great storyteller. I just think he does weird camera choices that I don't yeah. understand. And if we ever talk to The Departed one day. I'll gladly talk about the weird camera choices in that, too, because there's plenty that bug me. <laughs> I don't mind shitting all over these famous fucks. Yeah, take that. I love The Departed. I love it so much. And I love this movie so much. Spoilers. <laughs> it's fun to shit on what we love. You have to, though, or else it's boring. Exactly. One of the things I really liked that I read about this was that Brian De Palma told uh, Reza Badai, who was one of the people who directed a ton of episodes of the original Mission Impossible, they brought him in for consulting on the movie. And De Palma basically said, what we're doing is completely different. And if you hang out, it's going to be awkward for both of us. So you, should, you might want to just leave. <laughs> and Badai was like, thank you for being honest. And then left set and never came back. He basically treated it like a porn shoot of like, hey, just listen to this. Your mom and your stepbrother came home early. And we're going to... uh." <laughs> Go film something in the bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the fucked up part is that he doesn't even have a stepbrother. He doesn't even have that. His mom's just doing porn. They're just pretending they're stepbrothers. That's it. That's the whole key, guys. If you want to shoot porn. <laughs> Spoiler alert. We've talked about this so often. Way too often. 
<laughs> if you don't want me to take one of your beloved characters and turn him into a bad guy, you might want to leave set now. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm still going to go with an eight, even though I think he's cheesy. Yeah, it's a cheesy eight. Who doesn't love cheese? Next category is music. Uh, it's a name we haven't seen in a minute. Okay. Talking about eggshells, walking on them. Yeah. This one is tough to do because we have, we have history a ruler. With this he guy. always gets the fucking and he always gets the bump no matter what. And now it turns out that he's a bad man. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons you need to Google people before you celebrate them. And every time. Don't just Google him once. Revisit every, every once in a while. You, you need to. Uh, it's Danny Elfman. It's it's Daniel F. Elfman. The man of elves. And we'll leave it at F, maybe? Do we shorten it? Because he's still Danny. Oh, God, it's so gross. This is difficult because um, the music in this movie, other than the theme, which is already established, it's all right. It's all right. I, I think the music as a whole is kind of like a four. Yeah, but that theme song. But that theme song's a two-point bump because it's a banger of a theme. It is such a banger. So how about we go a four for Danny Elfman with no okay. bump. He's lost it. He's lost the bump. And he knows what he did. We give it a two-point bump to a six because the theme rules, but we reduce one point. Because after Tom Cruise is riding this train through this unbelievably long tunnel, this thing is like the channel. It has to be. <laughs> it's so it long. Is. Yeah. But when the helicopter gets close and he grabs onto it, you have the celebratory like horns playing. And I went, that's De Palma levels of cheesy. Yeah, it was pretty cheesy. And it stood out. That's not great. Let's go to five overall. Five overall. Sorry for mathing. Danny Elfman now has a negative bump. In that situation, he's got to watch out now. Yeah. You don't get an automatic bump anymore, Mr. Dot, dot, dot. Google it yourselves. It's not, I'm not. He's a bad man. And we apologize for everything. For the several years of celebrating him. So five for music. Let's talk about the box office. This movie cost $80 million to make. Paramount originally only wanted a budget of 35 to 40 million and tom cruise said no and it worked because he's tom cruise at this point at this point he becomes tom fucking 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 cruise yeah the hubris grew three sizes that day it sure did to katie holmes couch jumping levels 80 million dollar budget 80 million dollar budget this movie made 457.7 million dollars this was a different time because $80 million budget opening weekend, you want to get awfully damn close to your nut at this point yeah. with opening weekend, especially if you're doing that. It only did $45 million. Yeah, well, for the proper weekend, it only did $45 million. It's confusing because it was Memorial Day weekend. So if you count the whole weekend, it actually did 56.8, which is still not quite your $80 million. When did they start counting the full weekend as the weekend? Because now you have like... Oh, Memorial Day weekend starts on Thursday. Yeah, we're going to count the Wednesday beforehand because that's, I don't know. It makes no sense. It doesn't. The whole thing now, it's like, oh, we had a record-breaking weekend. Yeah, because you counted half the week. Longest weekend ever. For Memorial Day weekend, it beat out a bunch of other movies like Twister and Spy Hard, Flipper, The Craft. Toy Story was in its 27th week and still in the top 10. Of course. Just... Absolute domination. This movie made 572% of its original budget, which is a 10. You know it had to get at least one 10. Oh, absolutely. Ready for the second one? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> let's talk about impact on the industry. It has to be a 10. It has it to be. It has there's, to be a 10. There's eight of them. 
It's not that there's eight of them. They're all critically acclaimed. Yeah, and they bring in tons of money every time. And when I say all of them, I mean, uh, now that I've seen the score, most of them. (laughs) (laughs) It also has the added benefit of being the last motion picture from a major studio to be released on Betamax. That's something. That's important to someone, I'm sure. Michael Lanham wrote in, he said, most franchises wear out their welcome and make unnecessary sequels till they run them into the ground. Yeah. Many say the Mission Impossible series keeps getting better and better. What's a series you want to continue to see new installments of, and what's one you wish would have just stopped with the original? I feel like my answers to this are very obvious. Comic book stuff? Yeah, if you if you know me at all, you know that I just want the MCU to keep on keeping on, and you probably could have stopped at one Lord of the Ring. That would be the worst cliffhanger ever. Yeah, it would have, because it's not even a cliffhanger. It's just like, all right, we're all here, guys. Yeah, we're at the top of this uh, mountain. I'm looking over. There it is where it's going to go. And uh, you guys good? I don't even feel like doing two more. I'm, I'm pretty cool. satisfied. <laughs> I feel like we, we told as much as we need to tell, right? How great would it be if they ran credits and then uh, the post credit scene was the next two movies? <laughs> I mean, it might as well have been at that <laughs> length. Just slap two full feature-length films as a post credit scene. <laughs> Credit rolls, and it's like, wait, there's still seven hours left. And then in random act breaks, they just roll more credits of New Zealand people. <laughs> Thanks to all these people. <laughs> what about for you? Matrix. Yeah, they definitely could have stopped the one Matrix movie. I agree. And I like the trilogy, too. I haven't seen the fourth one because I just I don't care to. I don't need to. It will not... I don't think it says anything new, you know? No, I mean, I'm good. The first one was near perfect. Yeah. Mission Impossible's got to get a 10. We said that. It's done. It's in the books. Yeah, it's in the books. It's a 10. Tom Cruise started doing all of his stunts. His production company took off. Sky's the limit. He became one of the biggest stars on the planet. Yeah. One of the last true movie stars. He really is, though. I feel like the, nowadays you get celebrities, but they're not true movie stars. You don't have like these people showing up. I can't even say like for the art people, because if Daniel Day-Lewis did a movie, it's massive news at this point. A, because he's retired. B, because he's picky as shit and everything right. he does is good. Yeah. But I mean, Brad Pitt still pops up all the time. He's a true movie star, I'd say. That's true. I agree with that. Clooney? Very few left, though. Downey, probably. Downey probably counts. Yeah. But he's also, mm, that's hard to say. He's got his fingers in other pots. He does. Pepper pots. Hey, oh. Ah! <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. I, I just like heard your mom again. Ew. Ew. <laughs> what does thing score? <laughs> that's going to give Mission Impossible a total score of 78. That is still pretty damn close. Critically, this movie is fresh, but barely. Oh, okay. 66% critically. That's surprising. Audiencely, 71. Oh, wow. So we're so, a little high. Uh, we like this movie more than everyone. It's now Everybody. our favorite movie. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we found the one. Fantastic pick, Brian. You absolutely knocked that out of the park. I want to ask you what we're talking about next week, but we don't know. We have no idea. I can't answer that question just yet. Oh, and why is that? He asks, knowing what time of the month it is. Oh, that's a weird way to word it. Uh, I just heard your mom say, ew. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It's way tamer than everything I said. It's true. It's the last week of the month, which means it's an audience pick. We have a list here of 
50 some odd movies submitted by you, our listeners. And we're going to make a random pick right now. Brian's going through the list. He's submitting those numbers in a random.org. It is truly random, folks. And patrons, you get two picks, quote unquote picks, going on this list if you want. So submit your picks. If you feel like your movie is not getting picked, Mr. Singular Choice, go on patreon.com slash movie. But it's not impossible if you only have a single pick to get picked, as we're about to find out. Oh, great. All right. Uh, all the patrons, you can leave. It doesn't work. <laughs> they definitely have better odds. But this actually comes just for somebody who left a comment this week from Bill Mulligan. Oh, that's good, Bill. Just double dip on the episode. That's good. Right? You pop up every once in a while, leave some comments, get your your movie chosen. I love that. Bill's pick for next week. We're staying in the 90s, and we're going to be talking about The Usual Suspects. Speaking of problematic people in the cinematic world, director and actor this time. Double dipping Bill's double dipping. <laughs> really going to have to Google everybody involved in this one before we say how great they are. A lot of background checks going on. That's a fantastic choice, Bill. Next week, The Usual Suspects. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions for next month's listener pick. Again, if you're on our Patreon, you get double picks. And I swear, it does make it more likely that you'll get picked. It sure does. But that's not the only reason to join us on Patreon. We have all sorts of exclusive episodes for you to listen to, like this month's episode on the Garbage Pail Kids movie. The movie's insane. I can't like, I'm describe still how insane thinking about it is. It. I'm still like physically upset with that movie. I can't get it out of my head. I still have visions of these puppets with gross stuff coming out of their faces. I haven't slept in a month. <laughs> you look like shit, man. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on all of our social media at Bear Me a Movie, mostly just Instagram and Facebook. And of course, we always put up a post on our recording days asking for your questions and comments on Facebook. So make sure you get those in. And thank you to everybody who submitted for this episode. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're going to see y'all next week for the usual suspects. Sing it in.